listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish current affairs and culture show. Welcome back to it on this rather chilly Monday morning. I know that everyone was just starting to put away all those winter warmers and the blankets and whatever, and now we have to take them out again. It's very upsetting, but it doesn't matter. It's nice and crispy warm in the studio today, and we're going to bring you some hot radio uh, as well so that uh, you can... Uh, be part of the conversation. And by the way, if you do want to be part of our conversation for today's show, and I think there is going to be quite a lot of potential discussion, please, uh, by all means, get hold of us. 34519, that's the SMS line, uh, 0618951019. That is the WhatsApp. And you can tweet us at HiFM, email us on air at HiFM. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about all of those, uh, or, or taking all of those, rather. In the show, and it's going to be super interesting. A lot of people are talking about immigration, leaving the country uh, at the moment. There's definitely some talk around the Shabbos table. We're going to be talking about the opposite, immigration. Uh, people wanting to come into South Africa. There's a whole bunch of issues around people with skills wanting to get in, uh, people who are African migrants. So we're going to be talking to a bunch of people who are involved in some of these processes. Uh, we have Dan Brotman. He is... Uh, uh, an Israeli American who's been here and has been very involved with some issues related to that. We're also speaking to uh, Stephanie De Souza. Um, Dan, can you help me here? De Souza Darbandi. De Souza Darbandi. Sorry, I wrote that down uh, inc- incorrectly. She's an uh, immigration attorney, and we've also got someone from the African Diaspora Forum joining us later on in the show, uh, and uh, they're going to be talking to us about what is it like to be an African immigrant because it's a, a huge issue trying to get into this country, get working permits, all sorts of things. So we're going to be chatting about. They're going to take a short break. When we come back. We'll be speaking to Dan Brotman. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, Benji Shulman here. This is the new Blue Review. And as I said, we're talking about immigration. Uh, if you know someone who has uh, wanted to come work in the country, or uh, if if perhaps you have someone who uh, has has wanted to work or get married, all of these things uh, affect people who are wanting to come into South Africa, affect our economy, uh, and affect uh, what kind of skills we can bring into into the country. And it's actually quite a complicated thing. You wouldn't think that uh, it's with our unemployment rate and people wanting to uh, actually do work here, it would be easy. But actually, it's not so easy. So uh, let's chat about it, understand it, and get some more information. Uh, starting off with uh, Dan Brotman. Uh, Dan, uh, you are an entrepreneur. You came to South Africa. You've got a kind of a unique story. And uh, maybe you start by telling us how you ended up in South Africa. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, Benji, thanks for having me. Um, when I was in high school, I actually came to South Africa as an exchange student for a year, and I went to Herzliya. So that was my initial connection to the country. Um, when I was 23 years old, I came to South Africa for a few months to write my undergraduate thesis. Um, and I met a South African, wound up staying, got a job. Actually, my first job was at the Jewish Board of Deputies, and I've been here ever since. It's been over eight years. So that's uh, quite a quite a story and uh, quite interesting, and we'll have to bring you on separately just to talk about all of that. But it's interesting that you, you wound up at the Jewish Board of Deputies and, and, and started working there, and yet... The, your 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 immigration procedures aspects haven't been so simple. Like, for example, to work at the Board of Deputies, uh, was it able? Was it possible to get a working permit? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I just, you know, when I came to South Africa, I was able to work. I actually eventually got permanent residency based on my skills. But actually, I started to get involved in this issue uh, because of what happened with the Guptas and their citizenship application. Um, I applied for citizenship in 2016. Um, I complied in terms of the law, and I was unlawfully denied citizenship. Um, there was a very contentious um, regulation that Home Affairs was enacting that said that you needed permanent residency for 10 years in order to naturalize, whereas, in fact, the law said five years. So rather than fight Home Affairs, I said, well, you know what? Uh, Minister Gigaba waived a bunch of the requirements for the Gupta family because they made uh, an economic contribution to the country. I've also made a significant economic contribution to the country, so surely the minister can waive the same requirements for me. Uh, I learned that um, people are treated differently, uh, especially in terms of immigration, depending on how politically connected they are. And that's when I became involved in this specific issue. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a fascinating uh, thing in terms of how people get in and, and what they get in. And I actually want to bring in now Stephanie to the to the conversation. She's uh, on the line with us from Cape Town. Uh, Stephanie, perhaps you could explain to us, you know, people who are applying to work in uh, in South Africa, I understand that there's a special list of, of skills that you're supposed to have, including sheep shearing and certain financial skills. Uh, how does it actually supposed to work if someone wants to, to come and work in South Africa from abroad? Morning, Benji, and morning, Dan. And Benji, Thank you for having me as well. So the, the Im- our immigration regime, the current regime, which commenced in May 2014, it is a more restrictive um, regime compared to the one applicable before 2014. But the problem is not so much with the law, but rather the application of law and um, home affairs imposing directives without due consideration of their impact. This is this these are the problems. So the critical skills list in there is there and it sets out a number of skills. And yes, whether it's a complete list or whether it's a good list is a topic for another discussion. But the point is there's a list. And the emphasis is on the skill. It's called a critical skills work visa. The preamble to the act is absolutely clear um, about the objectives of the act and the fact that any person in possession of critical skills um, or any person who wishes to invest monies into South Africa, the, the application for that person must be facilitated, encouraged, and then also the South African economy must have um, access at all times to the full measures of um, the needed contributions by foreigners. But this doesn't happen in practice. So home affairs, a lot of home affairs officials, they think it's a subjective test. If they get a, an, an application before them and they don't believe that this person qualifies for whatever reason, they'll refuse the application. And the problem with the refusal is not that it won't be overturned on appeal, but it's that you could wait one or two two years for the outcome for an appeal and no one has one or two years to wait for a visa yeah absolutely uh, especially if you've got a job offer on the table which i'm assuming uh, most people do then then that is uh, you know it's, it's not something that you can wait around for what about the aspect of, of getting married because i understand that that's also been uh, something which people have struggled with if you get married to someone in south africa does that entitle you to work as well well, so two types of visas are available to the spouse of a South African, and spouse is defined in the Immigration Act as a marriage partner and or life partner. So there's no real difference between the two, except that if you're applying on the basis of a life partner, you have to prove that you've been together for two years, whereas if you're married, 
you don't need to prove the, the, that the relationship has been in existence for two years. But the point is there are two visas available to the spouse of a South African. The one is a relative visa, and that expressly prohibits work but is also available to any other person that's related to a South African within a first and second step of kinship. And then the, the second visa, which is only available to foreign spouses of South Africans, is a visitor visa with authorization to do any of the activities permitted in terms of sections 13 to 22, which include study, work, own business, etc. Okay, that, so that in is theory, it's easier yeah. and it exempts the, 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 the foreigner from complying with the strict um, requirements for a critical skills work visa, for example, or a business visa. But we still have the same problem. So when, so when you make this application, and we've been making these applications for years, and despite that, on one or two, or every now and then, every whichever, when the application is processed, it gets refused because they insist on the employment contract or they want the person to work for one employer only. And this isn't what 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 the the, the what is contemplated in law. Well, I've certainly heard uh, a number of, of of stories, and perhaps you can confirm this: people who are doctors, people who are, are business people, other sorts of scarce skills, perhaps in uh, universities or whatever. And and even though they have the skills, they just never ever get the visa that they need to come and work in the country. They don't. So the problem with doctors, for example, they qualify for critical skills, work visas, but the, in terms of our, our Immigration Act, they need to register with an accredited body. And um, the accredited body, HPCSA, I think it is, won't register the doctor unless you have permanent residence. But you can't apply for permanent residence unless you have a long-term visa and or even if you do have a long-term visa, let's say you have a spousal visa, but you want to apply for permanent residence on the basis that you're a medical doctor, so on your own merits, they won't accept the red, um, the, the uh, accreditation because you're not a permanent resident. So you, the, the registration with the professional body is necessary for the visa, but the professional body won't give you any registration until you have a visa. Interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, 34519, that's the SMS line. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask uh, around immigration and uh, how it works, we'd be very happy uh, to take it to experts, uh, one through uh, experience and one through uh, legal uh, knowledge uh, on the show today, talking about uh, the issue of immigration. We're going to take a short break, and then we come back. Uh, I want to hear more uh, about the actual process and what it was like uh, to go through it. The best part of your day at the heart of your community. All the talk, all the music, all the news. Hi FM. 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. We're talking about immigration today, uh, people coming uh, into the country. And we've got Stephanie and Dan on. Uh, Stephanie, immigration lawyer, and Dan is an entrepreneur. Now, uh, before the break, uh, Stephanie was explaining to us some of the legal uh, requirements if people want to come work uh, in South Africa. Uh, but the fact is that the process actually wasn't working. And Dan, you mentioned that at the beginning uh, and you kind of got involved with the Guptas. And you re- are one of the few people in South Africa who's actually had to go through the entire process. So talk to us a little bit what, what that was like, including, you know, some of the citizenship applications and uh, it was a real rigmarole. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of Section 59A, you know, the minister is within his or her rights to waive certain requirements uh, when granting naturalization, um, which we all know Minister Gigaba did for the Gupta family. 
So when my application was unlawfully denied, I said, okay, well, I'm now going to just do exactly what the Guptas did because clearly there's a process and if you can demonstrate a significant economic contribution, um, the minister can waive certain requirements. Um, so I put in uh, an appeal uh, exactly as the Guptas did. I provided the exact same type of paperwork and I actually dealt with the exact same officials that the Gupta family dealt with. The Gupta family waited one month for their uh, appeal to be adjudicated and finalized, and um, I was waiting something like five, six months. Uh, clearly, I was being treated unequally, and Minister Gigaba went on record and said he did not expedite the Gupta's application. When nothing was happening, I decided that I needed to take this issue public, as clearly something wrong was done, since I was being treated very differently from the Gupta family. Um, so I did a couple of things. The very first thing I did was I wrote an op-ed. It wound up being almost a full-page op-ed in Business Day about my experience. Um, the day that the article came out, I got an email from Home Affairs apologizing for the misunderstanding and saying that they're now going to take my application under special consideration. At the same time, I said, you know, the parliamentary, the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs in Parliament is investigating what happened with the Gupta family. <laughs> And um, I believe that my story could add value to their inquiry. So I phoned uh, several members of the opposition parties, the EFF and the DA, and I said, you know, I'm very concerned. This is what I've been through. Um, what can you do to assist? And um, and that's sort of how I began working with Parliament. Um, and I've also found other people that have been in similar situations, and it's actually gone to Parliament now. Uh, my biggest advocate thus far has actually been the EFF. They've been very, very effective. They've intervened with Home Affairs, and I'm hoping that my citizenship application will finally uh, be adjudicated this week after over two years of waiting. Because, in effect, what they were doing was they were just not even bothering to deny it. They were just kind of – there was a pr- – tribunal basically that uh, had to decide and it just was never sitting uh yeah and and what became clear from the various officials i spoke to is they didn't even know how to process such an appeal which is why i was quite confused how is it that they processed the gupta's appeal within one month but with mine they didn't even know what to do i was getting different stories about how the appeal process works it was just going on for months and months and months it was clear that they didn't have a system in place mm-hmm. um, if i could add something yeah, to, please. to dan's case i'm sorry mm. so i've been involved in dad's dan's immigration since the very beginning as well. Um, I was involved in his application for an exceptional skills work visa for permanent, uh, or permanent residence on the basis of his skills. So, and it was granted. And this was, I think, seven years ago. I, I'm, I'm, I may stand under correction. But the point is the, the permanent residence application and the citizenship application is submitted to the same Home Affairs office with the same Minister and the same Director General. When Dan was granted permanent residence on the basis of his exceptional skills, it means he satisfied Home Affairs. They were in agreement with him. They agreed that he is in possession of specific skills um, that South Africa needed, and we want him in this country. This is why we've given him permanent residence. So when they refused, when he applied, j- just to 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 when he talks about unlawful refusal of the citizenship application application. 
the, the Section 5 of the Citizenship Act says that the minister may grant South African citizenship to a foreigner who has, and there are various categories, but the one applicable to Dan and most other people, including the Guptas, is that they have, they have been admitted for permanent residence, that's the first step, and that they've been ordinary, ordinarily resident in the country for five years. So not in the country for five years as a permanent resident. It's as a permanent resident, you have to have permanent resident status to qualify, but then there's a period of ordinary residence, whether you're a permanent resident or not, and that is of five years. The regulation is what complicates um, the issue because the regulation then says the period contemplated is 10 years, but there is no further contemplation. And this is what we challenged in court and we won and we got it set aside. The judge agreed that it's not 10 years, there is no further contemplation and that it is the five years. What Dan was saying while, while the court process or the court application was still in process, when Dan received his refusal and the only reason for the refusal was that it hasn't been 10 years, no other reason. So he satisfied every other reason. Dan said, I accept, I agree, I'm not going to fight you on that, but then I do have exceptional skills. You've already agreed that I have exceptional skills, so contemplate or, or rather process my application in terms of this special circumstances, um, which is the sex, Section 59A application, and that's what he did. So it, it, there's no need for them to be confused about what to do with this because it's all in, it's the law. You know, there's the Immigration Act, there's his history, his file, which they have on record. There was no need for any confusion. Uh, Stephanie, do we have uh, data on how many people are, are stuck in the situation, how many foreigners would like to come into South Africa uh, but are unable to? Because surely this is a, a big economic cost to, to our country if we can't get the skills we need to do certain jobs. Absolutely. And foreigners are turned away annually in their numbers and we'll never know the true extent of the lost revenue because those who hear of the challenges don't bother applying. But the point is, you know, it, home affairs would probably or should rather be able to print out a list of applications that they refuse. But even that list isn't trustworthy. I We deal with hundreds of applications um, on a monthly basis. And on many occasions, you file an application and it's just lost. It's not in the system. It's nowhere to be found. Or we apply for a visa lawfully through the front door. It's issued. And a month later... The person has problems at the port of entry because the visa isn't on the system. And I'm not talking about people who pay for, for fraudulent visas. I'm talking about submitting a lawfully compliant application at VFS, paying the fees, awaiting the outcome, collecting the outcome, having it endorsed in their password, and it just disappears off the system. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is interesting that uh, that there is such a problem because you would expect that uh, South Africans would that's uh, a part of the home affairs where we would be beefing up stuff to make sure uh, it was more effective. I mean, Dan, I understand that you actually met with the, the minister and uh, big business to actually have this discussion and see how we can fix this. What has been the reception on that initiative? So for me, I mean, obviously I started getting involved with this because of my case, but it goes way beyond my case. Um, I think that South Africa's economy is really in trouble right now. And if, you know, as part of what we do at my company, Innovate, we travel all over the world and we look at best practice in different sectors. Countries that want to be successful are competing for the best minds, regardless of where they're from. Uh, And if South Africa wants to be successful, it must do the same thing. Um, so what I've done is I've been engaging, obviously, with political parties through the portfolio committee. But I think that uh, the private sector and big business has a very important role to play in pushing government to change immigration policy to help create jobs. 
So Stephanie and I uh, attended a Black Business Council roundtable with Minister Gigaba, and he was very open to suggestions from the private sector on how to attract skilled migrants. Um, we then convened a second roundtable with Business Leadership South Africa, where we explained how this was impacting especially small businesses in the country. And um, we have a second engagement with them next month. I think what people don't realize also is that this is a problem that affects the Jewish community. And um, I actually wrote an article a few, I think it was about a month or two ago for the Jewish Report, where I actually profiled members of the Jewish community who are stuck in the system. Some of them have come here, they've created jobs for South Africans, and, so, and they may have to leave the country in a few months, simply because Home Affairs has lost their applications. Uh, yeah, I, I do actually want to get onto the Jewish uh, aspect in a minute, because I do think that is... Uh, quite important from 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 a range of perspectives, but just sticking with your your engagements, I mean, I, I, it's good to hear that Gagaba is happy to hear suggestions, but he hasn't had the greatest record when it comes to flexible visa regimes. I mean, even on the travel side, there's the, all these documents for children and whatever. So, I mean, do you think he's being genuine in these discussions, uh, and the government is actually being serious about this? And w- what do you think is responsible? And maybe Stephanie, you can also comment for or for this. What seems to be an attitudinal problem when it comes to to foreign, uh, you know, workers who want to contribute to the economy. Well, I think uh, I think a couple of things. I, I think that there's there's a bigger <laughs> problem in South Africa where many people think that if we let foreigners in, they're going to take jobs away from South Africans. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I don't advocate that, and I think that foreigners should only come take jobs when a South African's not available to fill that position. The issue that I've been championing in particular is. Uh, skilled individuals who want to come to South Africa to create jobs for South Africans. We should be rolling, with with an unemployment rate of over 27%, this country should be rolling out the carpet for people that want to come create jobs for locals. And that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, for someone who wants to bring a business to South Africa, the, uh, the minimum threshold is 5 million rand. I mean, that is crazy. Um, you know, I have a company and when we, you know, when we started and we employ South Africans, we've made a great contribution to the country and we pay taxes. But when we started the company, we didn't have five million rand. Um, and you know, if we were coming in, uh, back then, we would have never been able to set up shop here. So what I, what, you know, countries like Singapore, for example, have entrepreneurship visas where it's very easy to come in to start a business. However, after two years, you need to demonstrate certain traction if you want to retain your visa. We need to make it easy to come in and set up shop and employ. But then obviously there need to be measurements, uh, you know, over every, over every few years. And based on that, you can stay. Um, you know, the, there are other, uh, you know, policies. I mean, there are other practices that are great in other countries. So we don't even need to look further than Botswana. In Botswana, the private sector meets with government on a monthly basis to update them on the skills that they need. Um, Stephanie mentioned the critical skills list. The private sector was not uh, consulted on the critical skills list. So it was literally a few government departments deciding these are the skills we think the country needs without any input from actual employers. So I think that there are things that we can take from Botswana in terms of private sector consultation. I think there are things that we can take from Singapore uh, in terms of entrepreneurship visas. And I've got to say, it's very, very disheartening. You know, I speak... I, we can talk about my article in a minute, but, you know, I was recently in Berlin and I met a billionaire German real estate developer who, you know, builds hotels throughout the Western Cape that employs many, many South Africans. He's been waiting over two years for permanent residence. Why on earth are we making it difficult for people like him who want to create jobs here to settle in this country? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, 
it, it is that does seem in, entirely crazy. I mean, Stephanie, have you you encountered a worse uh, or, or better attitude towards uh, skills applications over the last few years? Um, it's it's difficult to say because for per- permanent residence applications based on critical skills appear to be processed far quicker. And there are far more approvals, whereas critical skills work visas are being most of the applications are either being wrongfully refused or wrongfully issued. And the, 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 the bizarre part of it is that in order to apply for permanent residence in South Africa in terms of home affairs protocol, not the law, is that you have to have a long term visa. So people in, people who qualify for critical skills or people apply for critical skills and they either get it for one year in their country instead of the full five years. And a couple of months after entering, they need to renew because in terms of our law, you need to renew within a specific time frame and the renewal gets refused. And on what basis you've already deemed this person to be in possession of critical skills or it's refused because they're not happy with a specific document, etc. So the permanent resident side of it appears to be doing um, or being processed far better, but not the temporary. But on a whole, it, the situation is getting progressively worse. Far more applications are being wrongfully refused than approved. And I think, you know, you, 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 you asked earlier if... Um, Minister Gigab is being sincere. I think to a certain extent he is, and I think to a certain extent the high-level officials understand the problems and understand what we need and what needs to be done, but I think they don't know how to uh, how to fix the situation. And the problem, one of the biggest problems is that the adjudicators, the people we deal with, the people processing these applications, they they're not lawyers. They, I always say this. They're not lawyers, not trained in law, and they very rarely look at the Immigration Act. How are they expected to process a lawful application? I mean, we have refusals that are so far removed from the application that it cannot be possible that they doubt that that application was before them when they made that decision. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can see how that would be And the be problem, a problem is that, yeah. sorry, yeah. And, and another problem is the consequences. You know, if home affairs... There's a delay in processing. Someone, their visa expires while they're in the country. They become illegal. They, the landlord gives them problems because they no longer have um, valid status. The employer doesn't want them at the at the office because they, you know, whatever. Children can't go to school. They can't earn salaries. Family members are dying in their country, but they can't leave the country because they'll be banned from returning. Mm-hmm. And there's just you would think that the the immigration or the visa applications at least would be carefully processed, but it's just it's not. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Dan, uh, you brought in the Jewish community angle. People from Ju- other countries who are Jewish who who may have to leave because of this. People getting married or can't get married. You know, it's a small community. Uh, talk to us a little bit like about that and also some suggestions that you might have about how the Jewish community, uh, you've written a little bit about some best practice in this area as well. Sure. I mean, I think, first of all, we need to recognize that, um, you know, despite the fact that the South African Jewish community has shrunk in size due to immigration, there are still people coming in and we are still a community that has immigrants that need to be taken care of. I have so many stories of uh, fellow Jews in the community who are in terrible situations because of the Department of Home Affairs' inability to process their application. And I wrote an article, I think it was about a month ago in the Jewish Report, profiling several immigrants and the situations that that they're in. 
you know, one was a Belgian banker who started a company in Cape Town that employs people. He applied over two years ago for permanent residency. They just like lost his application. There's nothing he can do. And if it's not rectified by December, he has to leave and close up shop. Hmm. I, I told the story of another person who works for the United Jewish Campaign in Cape Town. Uh, the central fundraising arm of the Cape Town Jewish community, and she hasn't had an ID number, and she's lived here for like 15, 16 years, which means she has no access to credit, etc., and it was all because Home Affairs lost her permanent residence permit. Um, so Jewish community members definitely are affected by this. What worries me is that we don't have support systems within the Jewish community to assist immigrants and to advocate for us. You know, I wrote several articles uh, using the Jewish angle, and historically the Jewish Board of Deputies actually has intervened and has assisted Jewish immigrants, particularly, obviously, towards the beginning of the the 20th century. Um, But we don't really have communal organizations that assist in that regard anymore. Um, you know, I started to research what are Jewish communities in other countries doing either to grow in numbers and attract immigrants or to assist immigrants who are already in the community. Um, so, I mean, two very interesting examples. One is Auckland, New Zealand, and one is uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba in Canada. So in Auckland, they actually have a communal organization that's volunteer-led that specifically assists immigrants uh, that are already in New Zealand. They assist them with their paperwork to find housing, to find jobs. When I first came to South Africa, I went to different Jewish communal organizations and I said, you know, I need to look for a job and I need to set up my life. They were completely unequipped to deal with an immigrant. I was told you're, you're going to be the last in the queue to get a job. There's nothing we can do for you here. And I think that immigrants have very specific needs. And we as a community need an organization that helps those people, whether it's with their immigration paperwork or whether it's with acclimatizing. Um, Manitoba is uh, has a very, very interesting program. So the Jewish community of Winnipeg was shrinking uh, because its, mem- its young members in particular were moving to larger North American cities. And they decided about 16 years ago that they actually needed to be proactive and work with the provincial government to attract Jewish immigrants. Um, and the Jewish community of Winnipeg started uh, a program in which um, prospective Jewish immigrants who qualify to immigrate to Canada um, get in contact with them. If those individuals qualify, they're invited by the Jewish community for a 7- to 10-day look-see visit where they visit Jewish schools, they look at employment opportunities, they also do an interview with the government. Um, and if all of that is successful, they actually get points added to their application. So the Jewish community is actually facilitating proactive immigration to Winnipeg, and about 20% of Winnipeg's Jewish community uh, has come uh, to the city via this program. Absolutely fascinating. Some best practice there that perhaps we can adopt uh, in our own community. Guys, uh, Stephanie and Dan, thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us about this issue. If people need more information, perhaps they want to read your article. I saw dafka.com, uh, Dan, Jewish Reporters, uh, has published some of your uh, thoughts on this issue. Stephanie, where would you suggest people can, can find out more info? Um, well, info in general, I mean, if they're welcome to contact me if they'd like anything specific. If I can just add one quick thing quickly about the Jewish community, Benji, sorry. Yes. So what I also do is I assist the South African Jewish community in applications for Lithuanian citizenship by reinstatement. And I have found more and more 
South African Jews contact me regularly to say it's not easy being Jewish in South Africa. I need another option. I have to leave. I have to do this for my family. They, they, as Dan said, they don't feel protected. They don't feel, and it's not just foreign Jews. It's South African Jews as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just quickly, so for you know, the, the, there's the updated articles every day in, uh, about what's happening at Home Affairs. I wouldn't trust anything on the Home Affairs website, and I say this with respect. I think that if anybody does want to make any inquiries, it is better to speak to a lawyer. Um, um, and the a reason for that is only because we are trained in law, and we are, the advice is consistent. It's not; it doesn't vary from one day to the next. Um, but people are welcome to contact me or Dan. Um, I work very closely with, or Dan and I work very closely in in these issues. Um, but yes, it's there's a, hopefully things will change and things will get better. The minister has pointed mentioned that um, next year apparently a number of changes will take place. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm hoping that will do so. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. And we appreciate your time. And uh, we will be taking a break now. When we come back, when we're looking at the other side, we're looking at some uh, African uh, African immigrants to South Africa. Stay relevant and up-to-date. This is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Beji Shulman here, the new Blue Review, talking immigration today. Uh, on on the show And I see you have an SMS in here Does your panel have any information on spousal visas And how do we contact them For uh, advice uh, You can you can check out um, The Jewish report Dan Brotman wrote a whole bunch of stuff There uh, on that And uh, you can actually uh, Chat to him via that he Also if you look at, at dafka.com uh, He wrote some stuff So uh, his company is Innovate So if you want to get in contact with, with him I'm sure he'll be able to put you on uh, to the right people, to Stephanie, uh, etc. So uh, uh, there we go. If you need uh, information there, three four five one nine. If you have any other questions, uh, and I thought we'd also have a look at the other side of uh, the issue today. Uh, particularly, you know, of course, we have a lot of uh, issues with xenophobia, with uh, people at Home Affairs uh, coming from African countries, and so we've got into the studio Africa Diaspora Forum Star and Global Star. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, Star actually uh, was presented. At uh, Limud uh, this uh, this p- past month on this very issue, uh, well, interesting uh, questions and interactions there, Stop. I did it was great, you know. You know what was interesting for me is to hear the experiences of the immigration or the refugees also in Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a good an exchange program in terms of how we understand immigration situations and crisis globally. So we learned a lot as African Diaspora Forum. You know. We got to compare dynamics of immigration across the globe. So it was a great opportunity for us to be there. Now, you guys as the African Diaspora Forum, you're sort of an umbrella group, represents uh, all, um, all, all different particular African groups uh, that, are, that are in South Africa. Do, do you guys face very severe challenges when it comes to home affairs, particularly asylum seekers, refugees, that sort of thing? Definitely, you know. African migrants, you know, in South Africa, in most of the cases, you know, they regard it as a burden. So we, we face a lot of challenges in that regard. You know, you have a situation where people, they apply for the past 10 years, the person is every, you know, every three months is going to renew an asylum. That, you know, in, in, in constitutional terms, is supposed to, you know, to proceed and then they get a refugee status. So, I'm, I'm sorry, so I'm just going to cut you off quickly there because I think a lot of people uh, who haven't had to go through this don't understand the difference. So, because we, we use asylum seeker and refugee sort of interchangeably. So yeah. explain to people 
let's say you come from DRC, say, where there's some terrible political issues or whatever, and you pitch up in South Africa. What is the difference between asylum seekers and refugees? Okay, an Aslam seeker is a person who probably ran away from his country and then is seeking refuge in a particular country. <laughs> and then an Aslam is someone who is still in the process of being regarded as a refugee. His claims are still being investigated. I think basically for every layman to understand, an Aslam is someone whom his claims of being a refugee are still investigated. Whilst a refugee is someone, you know, the government has consolidated his claims and they've, you know, they've reached a conclusion that, you know, this person is genuine in, in, in a refugee. Therefore, as a government, we need to give them any form of protection. Action in any way possible. Yeah. So, so what you were saying before, on the point before I interrupted you, I apologise, uh, is that asylum seekers are just can wait ten years before their refugee status is being uh, uh, dealt with. Yeah, you can you can wait as long as the government is still not convinced on your claims. But it's not normal for a person to wait uh, more than. A year if the legal system or the system of governance in a particular country is functioning effectively. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself waiting 10 years, which means there is a, pro- a problem within the, the procedures in a given, you know, system of the country. Yeah. So, the, so the asylum seekers are, are, are having that particular issue. And how does that affect people? I mean, if you're an asylum seeker, are you allowed to work? Are you allowed to uh, uh, send your kids to school? How does that work? Normally in South Africa, if you're an Aslam seeker, you used to be allowed to work, you know. But remember, some of the companies, they cannot just get you if you've got the three months permit. Mm-hmm. You know, in the process, you know, direct or indirect, you're affected. The government will say, yes, you're allowed to work. But as a CEO myself or my own company, I will tell you, no, I need someone with a four-year permit, you mm-hmm. know. And then if you're an Aslam seeker in that regard, you'll be found one thing. Right. So that, yeah. that's a huge issue for, for asylum, uh, for, for asylum seekers. Um, so other, I mean, other than the actual uh, bureaucracy, uh, I, I know that uh, refugees from African countries are often, uh, you know, they have issues with the police and all else. The Lindela is obviously a very famous facility. Tell us a little bit about those challenges as well. You know, it's, it's, it's tough in, in South Africa. You know, for an Aslam seeker, it's a bit difficult. Consider nowadays, you know, the main center that deals with Aslam processes is the Maraba State Refugee Reception Area in Pretoria. So can you imagine if you're in, 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 in Cape Town, in Free State, in Pumalanga, you know, the time for you to come to you know, in Gauteng, in Pretoria, to get your stuff sorted is a bit frustrating. So most of the people, they come there, they sleep in Pretoria for one week, and there is no probability that you're going to get your Aslam renewed. So in the process, you'll be just running around the country trying to get your your permit fixed. That's why in the process, you'll find people ending up doing some fake things that are happening all over the country because they just want to get themselves stable in terms of how you live your life. Yeah, that, and that, that is, uh, I suppose, one of the contributing factors to also the xenophobia that we see, uh, because, you know, uh, foreigners are basically, foreign nationals are being excluded out of the system. Yeah, definitely. You know, normally, if you, if you're a human being, whether people like it not, or the government like it or not, you'll always find a way to survive. If you don't have a permit, you have to find a way to survive. Mm-hmm. Whether through legal means or illegal means, but people will find ways to f- survive. At the end of the day, you'll find other guys, uh, you know, opening businesses without proper permit. And then the government will say, no, you know, some of the migrants, they're opening businesses, they don't have permit, they don't comply. How do you comply if you don't have a permit? Because for you to comply, you've got to have a right permit. Right, you know? right. Yes. So... With you guys as the Africa Diaspora Forum, what is then most of the work that you do to try and alleviate this situation? 
Well, despite the, the limitations that we have as African Diaspora Forum, but we engage government officials at all costs to deliberate on policies, you know. For example, if we look at last year, we were working, you know, in, in partnership with government in terms of how we advance the, the integration of migrants into the system. Finally, the government passed the white paper on international migration where they proposed a number of permits so that migrants can come into the country and have access to permits like the SADIC permit, which is now on white paper, is approved that it can be implemented in any time. We are just waiting for the government of the SADIC countries to also sign up so that their people can get access to the SADIC. Because the government, its argument is saying most people from Sadiq, they are not refugees or no, no Islam, but they are economic migrants. So the Sadiq visa, which is on white, on white paper now, is focused on addressing the documentation need for the people, particularly on Sadiq. Very, very interesting. We're going to yeah. take a short break and we come back while speaking again to Stan Glover, who is from the African Diaspora Forum. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Indeed it is, Betty Shulman here on the New Blue Review. We're talking immigration today. And we have in the studio Africa Diaspora Forum a member, Stan Glover. Star, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Star, uh, I want to ask you, I mean, uh, I think a lot of focus in terms of SADC in the last few months has been uh, on Zimbabwe uh, and the recent elections. Do you think that the current situation will help the plight of migrants who are, who are stuck in South Africa? Well, you know, the Zimbabwean one is a very controversial one. Mm-hmm. But uh, on, on, on my, my personal capacity, I think I'm very optimistic. And there is a probability that some of the people go back to Zim, especially those who have not yet made it. If I'm struggling with permit here in Zim, and there is a sign of stability in Zim, definitely I'll go back home. But for those who have made it in South Africa, the probability of them going back home is very slim, you know. Very interesting. Okay, yeah. so that that is something that's uh, been been going on, and, and you guys also have been dealing a lot, uh, or a lot, but in some extent, with some of the members of the Jewish community. Uh, you, as I said, you, you spoke at Limud, but also organisations that have interest in, in migrants have also been uh, uh, working on your side as well. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that's great. We've worked with the the, the Jewish Union, Jewish uh, organization for women. You know, this is a Jewish uh, Union of Women. I, I think, yeah, we, you know, I think they were doing quite well with our IDF Women's League. Mm-hmm. I think we just need to keep on following up on, on you know, on the long term project because most of the time we do short term project where we we collaborate on an event. You know, we also we ADF has participated in some of the. The workshop that we, the, the Jewish community does, you know, like the Limud Conference and other um, community-based organizations. I think uh, this is a great platform for African diaspora forum. We just need to mutualize the relationship and make it a bit broader, you know, so that we can have long-term projects that are not uh, event-based. Yeah, that would be quite good for us. Interesting. Uh, we, someone has sent in an SMS here. doesn't seem to have uh, the name, but... Uh, they're suggesting that uh, people from Ghana are treated with uh, disrespect and some people from uh, West Africa are treated with, with more respect uh, in this person's opinion. I mean, do you find that different parts of the continent are perhaps treated more or less differently by, by home affairs? Well, with home affairs, uh, I, I cannot comment on them, but the reality is, you know, there is a certain stereotype pertain to each and every country mm-hmm. that is coming to South Africa. Right. So definitely, if your country has a certain stereotype, you know, you get a certain kind of, uh, of, of you know, 
of reception, mm-hmm. you know, in all aspects of life. Because I'm from a Zimbabwean, you know, national myself, you know, so somebody will treat me, you know, as per our stereotype, you know. Right. If the stereotype say most of Zimbabweans are armed robbers, you know, so the probability for someone seeing me and think, ah, oh, probably this guy might be an armed robber, the probability will be very high. Right. But we won't pay attention to such, you know. Our main focus as African diaspora forum is to promote assimilation, promote integration, you know, that's, that's what we do. And, and uh, no doubt has been very, very important, uh, uh, also, uh, in speaking up on, the, you know, there's been talk at one stage, there was talk of getting rid of people's dual citizenship and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I remember even around the Israeli passports and, and, and I remember the ADF was, was very vocal, uh, in, in those sorts of issues as well. So strong, strong on the policy side. Uh, Star, if, if people want to get hold of the ADF, they, they do want to like, you know, work on these projects that you've been talking about, like the Union of Jewish Women, yeah. uh, how can they get hold of you guys? Well, FDF, we have a, a website. They can follow us on the website on www.adf.org.za. Yeah. Okay, so if you yeah. want to, oh, yeah, if yeah. you want to find out, uh, uh, and, and they'll be able to get hold of you yourself there as well, Star. Yeah, I'm pro- I can give them more my number also, so that, uh, yeah, yeah, give that in case there is, there are people out there if you want to help, uh, get involved with supporting migrants and South Africa. Okay. Yeah, my same number is 082-7274-158. And my email is diplomatstar at gmail.com. Fantastic. So if you want to get hold of Star there uh, and have a chat to him about migrant issues. Star, thank you so much for coming into into the studio and chatting us today about these issues. Thanks, thanks a lot, Benji. Thanks. Star and Glow there. He is uh, from the African Diaspora Forum. That brings to an end our immigration section for uh, today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Mandy, who uh, did all the production for today. Craig is pushing uh, all the big red buttons. Lucy, who does our post-production. And thank you to you, dear listener, for uh, listening in and uh, engaging. And we'll chat to you next week on the new Blue Review.